So if you don't like what I say, don't complain to the diocese. They can't help you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. When I spoke to, uh, to James about today's message, he thought maybe a good way to start would be to tell you my story, my testimony, that might introduce you to who I am and maybe explain why I'm stood here speaking to you today. So hopefully that's all right. So the first thing you might notice is I'm not British. <laughs> Not Canadian either. Um, I'm American. I'm actually half American, half Argentine. Yeah, USA. <laughs> Come on. And um, yeah, so I grew up in, well, a lot of places. But I grew up in a Christian home. A very Christian home, I like to say. Uh, my family are a family of, of ministers, of missionaries, and of theologians, past and present. So that's the environment I grew up in. No absence of biblical study, argument, exposition, and all the rest of it. Despite that, however, when I was a teenager, I started to drift away from the faith. Um, I can't really tell you why. I didn't have a very good reason, but that's, that's teenagers for you. You know, kind of impulsive. And I drifted a bit more, just doubts. And then I went to university, and I studied anthropology and history. And I remember taking classes on comparative religion, on culture, how culture evolves, how religion plays a role in that. And the story there is that they want you to see religion as this kind of interesting sociological phenomenon that we humans have in response to the world around us, don't they? That's all it is, guys. It's a coping mechanism <laughs> for the world. And to be fair, I found that pretty compelling at the place that I was at. And so I went from drifting to just dropping my faith altogether. And um, I stayed that way for about 14 years, actually. I was all right, you know. I finished my degree. I studied archaeology. Um, I traveled to Belize, to the jungles of Belize, and did some research out there. Met my wife there, Ellie, and uh, we're still married now. And uh, we decided to move here because the visa is cheaper here than in the U.S., <laughs> so that's why. And then, um, yeah, here we were. We had kids. I developed my career. Everything was fine, really. And then a couple of things happened. Two things changed. Uh, thing number one. You should know Ellie and I were a little different. So I was kind of agnostic, atheist, depending on my mood. I was never like an atheist campaigner or anything like that, right? I thought religion had its role in society. I was cool. I just wasn't convinced, yeah, by anything. Ellie always believed in a God. You know, she believed in God. She believed in the divine. And we kind of explored that sometimes. We went to Hindu retreats. We went to the old Buddhist thing. You know, we'd done the rounds, yeah? We'd seen what's out there. But then one day, the kids were toddlers, and she said, I want to take the kids to church. And I said, why would you want to do that? <laughs> You're reckless, isn't it? <laughs> it's mad. <laughs> but, you know, I'd kind of grown up a Christian. I seemed okay, so I thought, how bad can it be? <laughs> so we went along to this little church uh, in North Oxfordshire. And um, there we were for a few years. And I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, when I was there, I'm, I'm a little skeptical by nature. So nothing that they were telling me was all that convincing, but it was nice. It's nice to sing. It kind of gave me 
vibes from my youth. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist, yeah? Couple of hymns, fiery sermon, cup of coffee, home. <laughs> that was the kind of, that's how we rolled. So I like that. But you know, for me, there was still not an actual God, right? It's just a nice ritual we were doing. And we were teaching the kids something through it. And then something else happened. Well, I did it myself, actually. I read a book. <laughs> a book about the brain. Because uh, I'm a nerd, and I love that stuff. It's a book by this neurosurgeon called Raymond Tallis. Now, Raymond Tallis is not just a neurosurgeon. He's also a kind of philosopher and cultural shaker. And he's a pretty vocal atheist. He wasn't a friendly atheist like I was. He was kind of an atheist that really hates religion. He thinks it's dangerous. He thinks it's an aberration to human reason, and that actually we'd be better off without it. And he often says that what he does, his neuroscience, informs him of that view, right? So I'm reading this guy's book, which is a good book about the brain. I highly recommend that if you're interested in the brain, it's really good, genuinely. And I finished that book, and I had a weird thought, really weird thought. I thought this book doesn't contradict the Bible, right? I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> But I did. Must be all that Christian upbringing. Because I knew enough, right? Because he says human consciousness isn't like this ghost thing, and it's not just, you know, dendrites firing away in your brain. There's something kind of weird going on. And I, my mind just went to Genesis 3, right? Because we're Christians. We don't believe we're kind of ghosts trapped in bodies, do we? We believe that we were created from the earth, and it is God's life that gives us life, right? And so I thought, this guy's pretty vocal. <laughs> he's telling everybody that because he's a neuroscientist, he doesn't believe in God. And I realized this chap doesn't not believe in God because of the evidence he's looking at. Right? It's because of how he chose to see the world. And then I had another thought. <laughs> I was like, I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. Like, I just... I hadn't looked at any evidence. I just assumed that this was what religion was. I just assumed that this is what the divine was. And then I realized I, I thought a lot about a lot of things in life. I thought about careers. I read about the brain. I read about philosophy. I read about how to raise a family. All these things that you put your mind to. And I realized I hadn't put my mind to, is there an actual God in the world? I hadn't put my mind to that question at all. I just assumed the answer. And I thought again about Eddie, because Eddie's got this ability to see things coming before I do. <laughs> it's just a thing she does. And she'd always kind of believed in the divine, and she'd always known. And I kind of thought, uh, okay, I'll look into this. All right? That was about 2012. And, you know, it wasn't like... Hard, you know, eight hours a day studying, you know, nothing like that. But, you know, every time I travel a lot for work, so if I go to a meeting, I put a podcast on. Yeah? I listen to a, an atheist philosopher tell me why God does not exist. It's not reasonable. And then I didn't hear a Christian philosopher say, well, God actually does exist, and it's quite reasonable. <laughs> and then I hear a debate, and then I hear another debate, and then I listen to another lecture. I'd read an article, I read about religions, I read about different ideas, and I read, and I read, and I listened, and I listened, and I thought, and I thought, you'd probably tell what I'm like from hearing me. <laughs> I got into it. And after about three or four years, I started to hit a saturation point. Yeah? 
Have you ever had so much of an idea that you kind of know what's coming next? Yeah. It's like when you watch the same kind of movie over and over again, and you're like, I know what's going to happen now. I've not seen this movie, but I bet the hero's going to find the weapon. Or, you know, <laughs> it's all, yeah, you know the score. It was like that. I listened to a debate. I'm like, I heard this argument. I've heard that argument. I'll bet he says this. Oh, look, he did. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I got to a point where more information wasn't giving me any more insight into the question. Yeah? There comes a time to choose what you think. So there I was. So I was laying in bed, 2016, uh, and I was thinking about a couple of things. I was a bit nerdy. I was thinking about theology and fine-tuning and how preposterously unlikely it is that this world even exists. I'll spare you that lecture. I was also thinking about <laughs> the fact that anything starts at all and how you know there has to be a first cause and all this stuff. I'll spare you that lecture as well. It's very fascinating though. I was thinking about that and a lot of other things. Why are things good and bad? You know? And I was thinking, and I was thinking, and then in one moment, I had like a, a revelation. I just realized I was looking at the work of the Creator God. I saw it just crystal clear. That's why the universe is ordered. That's why we are here. That's why we think things are good and bad, actually. We are created that way. And then I went, oh dear. <laughs> oh, okay. There is an actual God. Fine. I think I may have become a Christian at that moment, actually. Even though I, I wouldn't have told myself that. Because when you understand that there is a creator God, a creator God has intention. The creator God has a plan. It's not an impersonal force. Yeah? It's not river pixies. It's not weather gods. Yeah? This is a being that creates the whole universe for a reason. Yeah? And so there's only certain ways of looking at God that fit that bill. And I started to then think and talk to Eddie. We started to explore the gospel. And it's funny, you might read the Bible, and if you're not certain God exists, you'll read it a certain way because you take to the Bible what you've got in you, right? So if you have read people like this, they kind of go, yeah, maybe God exists, maybe God doesn't exist, I don't know, you know, that's cool. You met people like that? Yeah, they don't believe God exists. They do not believe God exists. Yeah. If you believe God exists, it changes everything. It changes the nature of the world you think you live in, doesn't it, fundamentally? So when you understand there's an actual God with an actual intention it changes how you read something like this, doesn't it? And so I started to read the gospel, and it starts to resonate with me and with Eddie, because we're kind of going in steps here. And then a few months later, I was, I was here. We'd moved here in 2016. Uh, might have been 2017 when this happened. I was sat kind of back there. James D. Cass was up here. He had his mic, and he was doing that thing. You guys know he's up here like this. <laughs> he's looking around for a victim. <laughs> yeah. And he does that thing. Does anyone here not know Jesus? Or does anyone here need to recommit to Jesus? Can I encourage you to stand up in front of everybody? <laughs> right? And I was back there going... But then I did feel something in me say, you need to stand. 
And so I was like, really? He said, yes. I said, okay, fine. So I stood up. And in my heart, I said, Jesus is Lord. Right? And that's why I'm here. And then, obviously, because now you know me a little bit, I really got into Bible study, and I've nerded out, and it's been great fun. Uh, and I've done a few bits for the church here and there, um, but that's why I'm here. And actually, this passage that we're looking at today exemplifies something about the gospel that I find so compelling, actually, and it's worth looking at it. Because actually, it's a short little passage, isn't it? It's a bit like a, like a montage in a movie, right? A bunch of stuff happens, and you have the travel scene, right? You can kind of see it. There's people healing and traveling through the desert, you know, and then it cuts to the next <laughs> scene. And it's easy to kind of, it's easy to glance over this and not appreciate what it's telling us. So when you look at it, it says, Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod Stuart Chitza, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. There you go. Half an hour sermon out of that. No problem. <laughs> you know? Like I said, it's easy to look through that, but actually it is very challenging. It's challenging to us today. But to see that challenge, you need to understand the context. And when you see the context, you'll see the contrast in the passage. And when you see the contrast in the passage, you'll see the challenge of the passage. Yeah? Context, contrast, challenge. Right? So what's the context? So there's, there's two types, right? There's the narrative context that you get in the Bible, and there's that kind of historical context that people like me really love because, you know, I'm into that. So thinking about where we are in the story, where are we? Luke's just been telling us all about Jesus. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God what it looks like, what it means. Yeah? It means that the way you thought the world was ordered is wrong. Yeah? The way you think the world is ordered is wrong. You think that the powerful call the shots. You think that the powerful are the ones that deserve to be powerful, that the poor are just it's tough luck. You know? And while we may tell ourselves differently, often we, we do think that, really, don't we? And the Sermon on the Mount says, no, the world is not actually like that. God does not see the world like that. God does not see you like that. And God does not see, does not see them like that either. Right? It's very challenging. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount and asked yourself, can I live like this? You know full well, there's no way. So there's that. And then you get these little stories that illustrate yeah, the work of God's kingdom, don't they? So you've got the centurion and his slave, remember? The centurion's a Gentile. Jews can't even eat with a Gentile in the same house, considered unclean, right? And Jesus reaches out and provides this Gentile with blessing. Yeah? And the Gentile shows a faithfulness that rivals that yeah? for the people of God. And then you've got the, um, the widow's son who's resurrected, so new life, resurrection life. You've got the, the woman of ill repute who's not named, we don't know what she did, but she made a big scene <laughs> at the dinner party. And Jesus says, no, that person is not in the wrong. Yeah? And you who think you're in the right, don't be so sure. Yeah? So these are the portraits that we're given. And this passage, I think, gives us another portrait of that same theme. So then there's the other context, which is my favorite, which is the historical, because I'm an archaeologist and I love that stuff. Right? So what's 
happening here? Where is this situated in time and place? This is not a place like ours, and it's not really a time like ours. Okay? So these guys are living in the first century. You knew that. Um, it's a time of Roman occupation. And right up in the run-up to this, there was a lot of war going down. If you know your history, you know about the Maccabean revolt against the Greeks. Yeah? The Jewish people rose up a few hundred years before Christ. They actually defeated the Greeks. Very unlikely. Uh, Judas Matthias was the leader. And he reconsecrated the temple. Right? They cleansed it and reconsecrated it. And that's why Jewish people still celebrate Hanukkah today. It comes from that. It's in the book of First and Second Maccabees, if you're interested <laughs> in that. Very interesting. But then they went into infighting, and the Romans picked them off. So actually, in recent memory, there is war. There is a reconquest. There is tension. There are still Judean freedom fighters running amok in the hills, <laughs> killing Roman soldiers. It's tense time, right? Into that, you've got King Herod. This is King Herod Antipas. This is not the King Herod earlier on. Is King Herod a legitimate king of the Jewish people, do we think? No, they don't see him that way. King Herod is colluding with the Romans, isn't he? Right? He's only in power because of them. He's part of the problem. Right? And then you've also got, obviously, the role of women in ancient society, which, you know, was no picnic, actually. I mean, I've studied this quite a lot. What you've probably been told doesn't really touch it, actually. It was not good. Women were seen as property, literal property, of the men's in Roman society. Um, apparently, at that time, um, Jews didn't even take the testimony of women seriously. There's a famous Jewish historian, Josephus. You guys heard of Josephus? Wrote in about 70 AD. And he wrote here, but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. <laughs> Good luck at dinner time. But yeah. <laughs> but that's in the air. Women are property. Yeah? Society is divided between people that are with the invaders and people that are against them. And people kill each other over it. Right? That's the context that we're in. Hmm. Interesting. So now that we've got that, what's the contrast that we notice? Right? Mary Magdalene. Where's she from? Do you guys know? She's from Galilee. Yeah. People think that word Magdalene is from a village that she was from. That's the running theory. And uh, this gal, Joanna, who's she? Who's her husband work for? Herod, right? This is not a trivial <laughs> difference. This isn't even like, oh, this person votes conservative, and they vote labor, but they've gone to a dinner party. This is a bit beyond that. It's a bit like, I don't know, like someone from the Vichy government in France working with a freedom fighter, right? This is a very serious difference. This is not trivial. I can't emphasize that enough. This is life and death, and yet they're swanning around together. This is not the first time Luke has pointed this out, actually. In Luke 6, do you remember? He lists the disciples. Who's he got? He's got Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot. Right? What's a zealot? Anyone know? Zealot's a Judean freedom fighter who would happily kill a Roman and thinks Romans are the problem, and the solution to that problem is to drive them out. 
A tax collector is somebody that says, the Romans aren't so bad. Let's work for them and take their taxes for them, and we'll get a cut. Can you imagine two people with more diametrically opposed understandings of how they're meant to respond in their day-to-day -day lives than those two people? Right? But here they are. They're all working together. They're bringing help. They're bringing healing. They're spreading God's word, and they're illustrating the reality that in God's kingdom, these differences disappear, right? And actually, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the message. I suspect you can see the challenge now, yeah? When you see that challenge, there's a couple of tendencies you might respond with, aren't there? You might respond by saying, well, of course I see people as they are. I don't look at how much money they've got. I'm a good person, do you know what I mean? Obviously, I don't judge someone who's poor. What do you take me for, <laughs> right? Moralism, self-justification. Or you might go, if you're a little more realistic, how can I ever do that? How can I ever see people for who they really are, given what I know about myself, given what I know about what humanity is? How is that possible? Yeah? It's, it's not possible, really, is it? Right? So how do you do it? It's a different challenge, actually, than it seems. Okay? How you do it is a bit like this. Um, thinking back to my story, if you listen to my story, you might think that I'm a Christian because I had a couple of thoughts and I evaluated lots of evidence, yeah? and I came to this sort of logical conclusion. But that's not why I'm a Christian, actually. I'm a Christian because of God's grace. I'm a Christian because of God's grace. Yeah? I had walked away. God had put things in the path of my life, probably thinking, you're a very stubborn person, aren't you? But watch me. That just used my objections and my skills against my position to bring me to him. Right? I'm a Christian because of God's grace. I have not done it. God has done it. And I respond. Right? And so the Christian should, I think, look at this and say the challenge is not for you to decide, oh, I'm going to see this person for who they really are. The challenge is for you to trust in Christ, actually. Right? Because the danger is, isn't it, is that we get it right and we do treat some of them well and then we get all puffed up. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Who's the Christian now? <laughs> you know? Or you get it wrong more often and then you're like, oh, no, it's terrible. Right? And that's why we say there's no condemnation in Christ. Right? If you get it wrong, you are not condemned because Jesus is the one who died, was sacrificed for our sins, and rose again to show that he could redeem our evil. That's what it means. What does that mean? That means that then if you get it wrong, you're in Christ. It's okay. But it also means if you get it right, you're in Christ and you know that you got it right, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is in you. Do you see that? That's good. There's lots of inversions in this, isn't there? There's other ones like, you know, the women who are the property support the men through their property. It's a nice <laughs> touch. There's lots there. 
But actually, I think what that's illustrating for us is that there's always going to be lots of dynamics, lots of contrasts in any church, in any community that you're in. And to embody yeah, the kingdom of God, to be the kingdom of God, you have to traverse them, but you can't traverse them yourself. I can't traverse them myself. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through Christ in us. That's the only way it's possible, and that's the only way we're ever going to achieve it. You'll notice in the passage, what's the big difference that they have is that they were with Jesus. Jesus is with them, walking with them. He can bring people together who normally won't be together. And as he did then, he can do now through his church and through his spirit. Yeah. That's the message today, I think, is that in Christ all things are possible, aren't they? Amen? And without Christ, we are lost. Yeah? And all you have to do is turn to Christ and trust in him. Yeah. And he will set you free. And he will let you see what you need to see to take the next step in your walk. There you go. Right. Thank you. So maybe I'll, I'll let Peter, James Peterson... See that? <laughs> Smooth. Come up here, maybe lead us in prayer. Thank amazing, you. thank you, Will. Amazing. Um, so, would you mind playing keys? Thank you. Um, I love the, uh, that's the, so, so rich. And just first and foremost, your testimony of someone who is seeking and someone who is genuinely looking for truth. And it says throughout, if we seek, if we seek uh, and we, we set our heart to, to finding the truth, then we will find God. He will reveal himself to us. And I would love to give the opportunity, in case there's anyone here or anyone listening who hasn't opened their heart to Jesus, who hasn't invited him uh, into their lives. So firstly, I'd love us all just to, to bow our heads and to pray, to pray with me. Uh, you might be praying this for the first time. You might be praying it for the thousandth time. Likewise, if there's anyone who's, who's drifted or felt they've drifted away from Jesus, it's a great opportunity, again, just to, to invite him afresh again into, into our hearts. Um, so if you pray after me, that would be, would, would be an amazing, uh, amazing privilege. So, dear Lord Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sin and you rose again. Jesus, I confess that I have sinned and I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And that you would lead me by your Holy Spirit every single day from this day forth. Amen. Now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, you, if we could keep that posture. Is there anyone that prayed that for the first time? If you could just raise your hand. Amazing, thank you. 
decision. According to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to celebrate this moment um, for those who prayed this prayer for the first time. That what has just happened is this transition, the old things passing away and all things becoming new. And I want to celebrate that. But I also, um, what I'd love to do as well is that we're, now that we're all in Jesus, as Will was talking, as Christians, we can still look across and we can still regard each other according to the flesh. And how you look and what job you do is the classic within our culture. Um, and where, which country you're from and, and all of the things that we would use to make these judgments by which we navigate the world. And yet, the admonition here is that we don't, we don't regard people according to the flesh because of this beautiful picture and this beautiful verse that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All that stuff has passed away. All things have become new. And Jesus gives us a heavenly persona. He gives us a new identity. He sets a purpose and a call in our lives that is beyond anything that we have known to that point. And as Christians, it is our role to see that and to spot that in other people, but also in each other. So we no longer evaluate people according to the flesh, but rather according to the heavenly call upon their life. And everyone in here has a heavenly identity. Everyone in here has a, a heavenly call. That is Will's message this morning that we get to align with that. And it is only in Jesus and in Christ that we can do that. But we have this beautiful opportunity 
as we live our lives as a community of believers to call out this gold in other people because sometimes ourselves we can dismiss it and actually it takes people around us to encourage us it takes people around us to say actually that's not who you are you might be having a a down day but this is who you are this is the call upon your life and each one of us I can't stress that highly enough each one of us is a child of God endowed with the the spirit of God the very power and presence and person of Jesus to live this life this is the most wonderful wonderful opportunity what I'd love to do is for us to to take a moment and to to pray for the person next to us might feel uncomfortable for some but just even if it's a simple prayer but I'd love you to turn and just to take it in turns to pray for the person next to you and it might be that God gives you a word for them it might be that you get a picture for them it might be that you just get to bless them and bless what God's doing and bless who God's made them to be and to bless the work of their hands of whatever the the role that they're currently uh, functioning in I'd love to take that opportunity to release the kingdom of heaven because each one of us is filled with the spirit of God. It's not about you. It's not about how eloquent your prayer is. It's about Jesus in you. And we get to we get to release him and set him free to do what he wants to do. So is, is everyone up for that? So we're just going to take five minutes or so. So just find someone next to you. I'd love you to take it in turns. And just to, even if it's just a simple blessing, word to us to to remind us again today Jeremiah 29 verse 11 he says for I know the thoughts I think toward you thoughts of peace not of evil but thoughts to give you a hope and and a future then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I'll listen to you you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart I will be found by you says the Lord.